The Straight Cash Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. So, since there are two huge games coming up in Minnesota, uh, the GameTime app is the best way to do it, whether you want to go to the Wild, the Wolves, if you have interest in a massive, massive December 23rd Monday night game for the Vikings against the Green Bay Packers, use the GameTime app. If perhaps you want to go spend New Year's Eve in Florida and go to uh, the Outback Bowl and watch the Gophers take on Auburn, GameTime is the app to do it. You can buy your ticket straight through the app with two easy taps. You can preview what your seat will look like before you buy your tickets. It's really the best way to buy tickets. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Straight Cash Podcast after uh, what was a rather mundane, boring, dry, slow, sluggish 20-7 win for your Vikings over the Detroit Lions. Vikings improved to 9-4. And And, uh, as always, I suppose we should introduce ourselves. I'm your host, Chad Graff, joined by my colleague here at The Athletic, Arif Hassan. Arif, what did you make of that uh, super thrilling game? Well, it certainly happened. It, it was a game, yes. <laughs> they, they played a game. Uh, Vikings showcased uh, their, I guess, dominance is what is the word of the day here. <laughs> uh, maybe not by quite as much as you'd want and, and not by um, an overwhelming amount by the end of the game, but it was very clear that they were by far the superior team, which is kind of <laughs> what you'd hope, so... Uh, yeah, that's good. I mean, we saw some really good performances from Linval Joseph, who, uh, you know, was not all that great last week, really good this week. So I think, uh, you know, he might be back from injury. Um, we obviously saw uh, Daniel Hunter hit the 50 sack mark, fastest to ever do it, uh, from an age perspective anyway. Uh, and a uh, big game from Stefan Diggs. So uh, all good. And, you know, that Detroit secondary is pretty good. So seeing a big game from Stefan Diggs. Uh, no matter, I think, the circumstances against that secondary is a good sign. As we look out at U.S. Bank Stadium, it's not quite as loud as it was in Seattle for us after the Monday night game when uh, the Monday night football set was being taken down as we tried to tape this show. But there is a bit of a party going down on the field, uh, so please excuse any noise and sorry about that. We'll have plenty to come at The Athletic for coverage from this game, so if you're not yet a subscriber, uh, please consider subscribing. You can do so for 40% off at theathletic.com slash straight cash. And I think what I'll be writing for tomorrow is that we really didn't learn much this game about the Vikings. We learned that their defensive line is better than the Lions, but we've known that because they sacked Matthew Stafford 10 times the last time the Lions came here. Uh, we saw that the Vikings are good at play action, but hey, we already knew that. We saw Dalvin Cook is good in space. Hey, we already knew that. We saw Stefan Diggs can make plays deep, but yeah, of course, everybody knows that. So I, I don't... 
Is there anything you learned from this game? Uh, CJ Ham is a consistent yak threat. I That's think we right. needed two to games see, in a row. Yeah, I think we needed to see a little bit more of that to confirm that, that he can be a yak threat. Uh, we, we can see uh, that the Vikings uh, adapt their game plan to kind of what they see. I mean, I think that they expected this to be a little bit more of an explosive offense uh, coming into the game, and that was kind of taken away from them by the by the different covered shells, and they were still able to to generate first downs. Um, they changed their offense from from different types. They had screens, they had runs to the inside, runs to the outside, they had deep shots, they had a lot of play action. So they definitely maintained their ability to be kind of diverse on offense, which I think is important. Uh, defensively, I think we learned that, like I said, Linval Joseph is back, which I think that's that's actually a pretty significant piece of information. That's good. Um, and uh, that cornerback rotation, I think, might be the most interesting thing mm-hmm. in the game. Uh, the Mike Zimmer mentioned, and it was pretty clear, that the plan going in was that Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, and Mike Hughes would rotate uh, among those two outside cornerback positions. And Mike Hughes, I thought, played really well. Um, and uh, and Trey Waynes had a little bit of trouble. Xavier Rhodes played well until he got hurt again. Um, so, you know, that's a good and a bad sign. Getting hurt's pretty bad. Playing well is pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that cornerback rotation, I think, is tells us that they're beginning to think of benching Xavier Rhodes. I think that's the closest we can get to a really significant takeaway from the game. Yeah, and, you know, while it's sort of easy to discount that this was against the three-win Lions at home, I do think the defense's performance and, of course, the cornerbacks within that is the biggest takeaway. The defense had really struggled for a number of games in a row, all the way leading to the bye. It was probably... The biggest area of concern, which is surprising to say about the Vikings, uh, you know, I think entering the season, nobody would have thought that they'd be at a nine and four record with an offense drastically outpacing where the defense is compared to league averages. So for the defense to get back on track to be, you know, within a, what, like five minutes of, of a shutout or, or even less than that, Mike Zimmer even said that he really wanted the team to get to a shutout to see the defensive line get back to where they were earlier in the season. Um, And then, of course, you know, it took the corners playing well. Like, this is still the Lions, and this was David Blau at quarterback, but this was also a Lions offense that really torched the Vikings secondary. And sure, a large part of that was probably Matthew Stafford, who was playing very, very well. Um, You you know, you can only – you can't really control who you play against. So for the Vikings corners, um, you know, I I think you got to consider this a job well done. Yeah, and, and it provides its own unique challenges. Like, obviously, it's always better to play against a less talented quarterback, but there are unique challenges in that the, the secondary has constantly played against quarterbacks, whether or not they started or entered the game for a significant period of time um, after the game started, uh, who don't have a ton of film. I mean, they've played, you know, Chase Daniel and Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones before he had a ton of film, and now, obviously, David Blatt. Like, the, these quarterbacks that they've played, again, there's a reason they haven't seen a ton of playing time up until now, but they haven't been able to watch them or what a game looks like with those quarterbacks at the helm. And and so, you know, that continued challenge, I think, presents something that they can work with and kind of grow on. You know, they have to be a little bit more multiple on defense. And so uh, seeing them uh, with the ability to perform in, in that situation, that's good. Again, David Blau is not going to, you know – shock the world or anything like that uh but it, it was it was good to see them be able to play well knowing that 
they didn't have a ton of film for what this particular offense would look like. I mean, they were an explosive offense with Matthew Stafford. Uh, Jeff Driscoll is very similar to Stafford in that, you know, he likes to throw the ball down the field. Uh, without either of them, you've got David Blau, who, you know, I don't, we don't have a ton of information on him, and it turns out he's not as much of a deep thrower, and so they had to change kind of what their defense looked like. So I'm still not really sure what he is. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a quarterback. Uh, <laughs> like this was a game. Yeah, right. Uh, I, I, it seems like he's more on the Alex Smith end of the, of the game manager uh, spectrum than, you know, like Jameis Winston or Cam Newton, right? So I should um, note, as a Cornhusker fan, he did beat Nebraska, but hey, then again, who hasn't recently? <laughs> so. hasn't. Yeah. Um, big year for mid-major Big Ten schools. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, um, it was good to see the cornerbacks play well, especially because the receiving core in particular is good. Like, I, I think that's unquestionable. And it might take, you know, watching back the film to see how they specifically did against the receivers instead of, you know, what the stat line ends up being. But uh, I think any bounce back game for the secondary is uh, pretty important, especially because I think Zimmer's right that last week that secondary played mm-hmm. really well. There was one. Everybody just has the one play stuck in their mind, which right. fair. It was a horrible I mean, yeah, play. It, it's, but, a, it's an awful play. But I mean, even with that play, they this is now turning into Seahawks pockets. <laughs> even with that play, they, with they gave up a seven and a half. Uh, yards per attempt to a quarterback that's averaged, you know, over eight and a half for the year. Without that play, it's under six, or mm-hmm. it's exactly six yards per attempt. And so this could be the beginning of the defense kind of turning around, um, which you'd want to sample size more than, you know, one and a half, if this game counts as the half, um, of, of good defensive play. But, I mean, if there is a defensive turnaround, this is kind of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And I, I still I think I'd be a little surprised if we saw a full-on Xavier Rhodes benching where he only ever came in uh, if Trey Waynes or Mike Hughes got hurt. But I do think that what Zimmer did today with the rotation, really it was a pretty fair rotation before injuries messed it up in terms of, you know, Rhodes and Waynes might play five straight, and then Rhodes comes out for five snaps, and then Waynes comes out for five snaps. It was a pretty consistent rotation of those three. And I think, you know, while perhaps a bit unconventional, the Vikings tried some things like that on the defensive line in 2018 after the NFC Championship, and perhaps it's more conventional there, of course. But I do think that there's some promise there, especially for a team that, you know, has three what you normally would say are pretty good outside corners. Um, I think that there's some potential there and maybe that additional rest helps, you know, if I don't think you're going to get 2017 rows, but perhaps it, you know, ups his play a little bit and and Hughes and Waynes continue to do their thing. Right. And and I think that involving Hughes more in the outside rotation also improves the communication on the defense. I think there's less likely to be confusion the more reps that you've got out there. Um, you know, I, I think that the idea for Hughes coming in was that he would take over the nickel spot from Mackenzie Alexander and then occasionally play outside um, as a guy that would be able to play both in the long run with Mackenzie Alexander playing super well this year, which, you know, we're not talking about a ton, um, but he's playing extraordinarily well. It's difficult to justify putting Hughes in where Alexander's playing. And so this is one way to get Hughes onto the field. And, you know, I think that that's smart. And I think it gives them a lot more opportunities. I mean, you end up with uh, you know, kind of no matter what happens in terms of injuries, unless, of course, it's like three injuries, right? No matter what happens in terms of injuries, a cornerback core that has a bunch of experience this year working with the rest of the defense and then 
The benefit is that, you know, Holden Hill is back. Jaron Cruz can play a lot of corner too. And so now you've got a secondary unit that, though the top end doesn't seem to be playing at a really high level, is much more resilient yeah. than I think we've ever seen. That's a good point. We'll get back to the defense in this game, but I want to ask you, from a Lions perspective, Matt Patricia seems anyway now, you know, a season and three quarters into his tenure, like he's in above his head. This was Bill Belichick's, you know, seemingly the person who was closest to Bill Belichick. And and with good reason, the Lions, you know, went out and hired him. And there were a lot of reasons for high hopes. And then the Lions offense today was a disaster. And yet that hasn't even really been their, their part of the problem. They, they were running the ball down 20 to nothing with Bo Scarborough going nowhere. That was a mess in itself. The way they managed the game was kind of a mess. Their defense while the Vikings didn't completely pick it apart, has not been very good this year. Their defensive line has not gotten the pass rush that you would expect from them. Should Vikings fans hope that the Lions don't fire Matt Patricia so that he stays in the division another year? I think so. Yeah, I think he really mismanaged this game, I think. And here's the thing. I think the Lions this year are were a tremendously talented team. Uh, it's like a lesser version of the Dallas team where you've got mm-hmm. all the talent on offense and defense, Got MVP-level play from the quarterback for both of those teams, and you can't manage a winning record. In fact, for the Lions, you've got three wins, right? right? How can you have a quarterback that is, and it's not even garbage time stuff. You've got a quarterback that's putting up MVP-level stats in the first, second, third, and fourth quarter, Mm -hmm. and you've got three wins. Stafford was unbelievable when he was healthy. Yeah. And, you know, somebody, uh, you know, mentioned that they, they it was difficult to believe that, that we would call Stafford an MVP level quarterback, but he really was. He's playing mm-hmm. really good. It's the best he's ever played, better than that 41 touchdown season that he had when he threw the ball 700 times. Right. Uh, <laughs> it really, really incredible. And so I think that this is a great example of a really poorly coached team. I think, you know, uh, you know one of our colleagues on the beat, Matthew Collar, uh, mentioned that this might be the worst coached Lions team he's ever seen. And obviously that includes, <laughs> you know, an 016 season. But I think, you know, I think that that's an accurate assessment given that the talent on this team is enough to win a division, like with the right coach. Uh, and, and they couldn't manage like four wins. So, yeah. So absolutely. perhaps Minnesota fans will be rooting for no news out of Detroit in these coming weeks as the season comes to an end. The Lions, by the way, averaged 3.4 yards Per play, It took until the fourth quarter until they finally got more than 100 yards of offense in the first half. They had something like 23 yards of offense on their first 16 plays. It was just an atrocious performance from that offense. Negative two net passing yards in the first quarter. <laughs> just way to go, David Blau. Uh, so let's, I'll give you a second to, this can be the Danil Hunter appreciation. You you mentioned him and his stats and getting to 50 sacks faster than anybody. What what can you say about Danil? After the game, I should add, Mike Zimmer said, I still think there's a lot of room for improvement. He can get a lot of a lot better, which I think is both crazy and scary. Yes. Uh, well, here, the floor is yours to talk about <laughs> Danil Hunter. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I've written about Daniel Hunter and uh, his development as a defensive end. Uh, he's improved, obviously, really dramatically since he arrived at the Vikings. He's very raw technically. He wasn't very smooth in terms of, you know, linking moves together and stuff like that. And it's very difficult to, to say that he can get better from here where he's added that kind of smoothness. He's added moves to his repertoire. Uh, and he's always been a good run defender. But I think uh, there are there's certainly you know opportunities to improve. I probably wouldn't be able to identify them as well as Zimmer or Patterson or, or Rodriguez, but 
Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, he's just added a spin move to, to what he can do. And, and that's not nearly as smooth as when Everson Griffin does it, you know, it looks awkward. It's worked, you know, so far, I think two sacks this season come off of a spin move, but, you know, he can add more moves and they can be used to kind of counter the kind of common stuff that he does. Um, he's taken some pass rush moves. It looks like from DeMarcus Lawrence with the Cowboys. Um, but Lawrence has added specific counter moves to what he does, whereas Hunter doesn't have those. So he can add that. But I think primarily where he can improve his play recognition. Um, you know, against the run, he's good. Against the pass, he's good. Against the screen, he's good. But all of those kind of require him to kind of understand what's happening uh, right as the play starts. And so when he's got a better understanding of what the play is, he can have an even bigger impact, which is a crazy thing to say. I think he leads the league in pressures, right? So like bigger impact, what does that mean? Right. Uh, we'll get to the offense. I want to ask you a little bit about that. But first, I just want to give you a heads up about another podcast at The Athletic. We've got tons of podcasts, some team specific, some more nationally focused. Uh, if you're interested in some national focused NFL talk, I would encourage you to check out The Mail Room. Every week, one of our editors, Amy, is joined by an exclusive guest, uh, talks directly to you know these people from around the NFL. A recent one had Susie Kolber. Uh, you've seen her for decades on ESPN and Monday Night Countdown. Uh, and now she's hopping on the mail room to talk about how she got into the business, about working with Stuart Scott, what it's like to prep for Monday Night Football. So if you're interested in that, I would uh, highly suggest you check out the mail room. All right, Arif, the Vikings you know, did a lot of what they usually do on offense. They ran 12 play actions in the first half. It was very uh, play action heavy. What, what did you make of you know, I think what was a pretty impressive first half for the offense and then, you know, a decent amount of struggles, three and outs, punts in the second half. Yeah, I mean, we'd probably be talking more about that if the Lions found a way back into the game, uh, how, you know, they couldn't get things going. And, and Cousins made a great point after the game that, you know, the ability to score at the end of a half um, is no different from just the ability to score anywhere unless you can score right away with that second possession, because the whole point of the double dip, the whole right. point of deferring is that you can finally get a possession ahead, um, which I, I kind of disagree. It's the same number of possessions either way, but uh, it does look cool to score twice in a row. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Tom Brady loves it. Yeah. It's great. Um, but the whole point is, is the ability to score right away uh, coming out of the half and they weren't able to do that. And so, you know, that's an area of concern that they could look at. Um, like you said, you know, schematically it's, it's what the Vikings do. Um, but you know, they, they had a little bit of difficulty on third down, you know, cousins also made a great point that if you're going to run the ball a lot, you might end up in third and long a lot, which I think tells you about the efficiency of running the ball sometimes. <laughs> um, but then you have to convert those third and longs and they didn't do that. So, uh, those are the kind of the opportunities there. Uh, again, uh, cousins basically mentioned that he was kind of confused by the lions coverage, which, you know, didn't hurt them because Not he kept a dumping it off. endorsement uh, <laughs> right. for the lions. Right. Um, but you know, it was, uh, it, it was, it was, you know, a moment where I think the Vikings offense should have probably played a little bit better. Uh, again, it's too hard to critique them a bunch because their approach throughout the game changed as the defense kept on, you know, maintaining that lead. And so they went from, you know, attempting to score to attempting to maintain possession during the clock, et cetera. So, um, opportunity, like the biggest part of draining the clock is converting third down. So opportunities missed. Um, but, you know, kind of difficult to say, you know, that they did poorly. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about Dalvin Cook. Dalvin uh, sort of re-aggravates a chest injury last week in Seattle that he had suffered two weeks before in Denver. 
he basically said this is going to be something that lingers with him, that he's even going to change the way that he you know, tries to fall to the ground, which seems like a very difficult task for a running back to do. Um, and then at one point he was hit helmet to helmet on a personal foul penalty. And I think fortunately for the Vikings, they didn't have to play him a ton in the second half, although he still finished with uh, 18 rushing attempts and, and then caught a couple of passes. <laughs> took him out early and he still Even had 18 rushing attempts. <laughs> day, he touched the ball 20 times. Um, so what did you make of him? Would you have played him in this game if he said, hey, I'm, I'm healthy, nothing to worry about, but, but you also know it's probably going to linger? I mean, where are you at with whether to play him in this game and then how he looked uh, going forward? So from my understanding, this injury is not the type of injury that increases the likelihood of other injuries, right? Or or a re-injury or a worsening of the injury. It seems to be an injury pain that, tolerance. that's, yeah, it's primarily centered around pain tolerance. And if he says he can play, you know, I'd, I'd want him to play a little bit early. My concern is that, you know, the fumble came, you know, last week or I guess this week. I don't know. <laughs> Depends on how you count them. Uh, the fumble came off of somebody hitting him right where he was hurt. Uh, and that's uh, that's. You know, if, if he increases fumble likelihood, and this is a game where you want to play conservative, you know, you'd probably want to limit his touches, but that's not a concern that they necessarily have. And so if that's not a concern, then yeah, I absolutely would play him until it was kind of clear that that the game was in control, which is exactly what they did. Um, yeah, changing how you fall. I mean, <laughs> there's like martial arts that teach you how to do that. And it takes a while to learn it when there's nothing happening to you. I can't imagine doing it in a football game where you can't control right. any <laughs> of the angles. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't really know how to explain it, but that's apparently his goal. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, I think the biggest thing is that the Vikings need to be healthy for December 23rd against the Green Bay Packers. Now, there's also the scenario in which they win that game and still end up with the six seed. That's just kind of how, you know, this December is, is looking a little bit anticlimactic just because they're in so many different ways, unless they run the table and perhaps even then get a little bit of help, uh, they're going to end up with that six spot and end up on the road. Just, you know, that's the way things are trending. So uh, looking forward, Arif, the Chargers are coming off of a blowout win uh, over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Granted, you know, take the Jags for what they are. What are your thoughts going to, on the one hand, you know, they're on the road. We know how tough it is to win on the road. The Vikings' last road game of the season. Uh, where, on the other hand, the Chargers, you know, this week's game notwithstanding, have not looked that good and been that impressive. What are your thoughts going forward on the Vikings? Uh, it's not a road game against the Chargers. <laughs> that's <laughs> my got first 15,000 Vikings fans and 10,000 Chargers. <laughs> right. That's it. Yeah. You know, if the Chargers fans want to show up, right. even less than they do. <laughs> a normal week, um, yeah. They've got holiday parties or something to it. Yeah, right. They've got they've got their summer Christmas. Else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are we doing here? We could be at the beach. <laughs> Must um, be nice. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, Rivers has fallen off. Uh, you know, normally I'd say, "Hey, it's the Chargers. Anything can happen." And honestly, that's exactly what's been happening to them this year. But it always feels like, you know. It used to be the case that the rest of the team was letting Rivers down. Now that's the case, but then also Rivers is sealing the deal. <laughs> and so uh, there are a lot of close games. You always have to be careful of teams that lose a lot because they're in close games because, you know, it's more likely that they'll make it a close game and win it than they are to be blown out. 
Um, so you can't look ahead of it. But I do think that this should be a pretty clear Vikings win, even though traveling to the West Coast is difficult. Um, and even though, uh, you know, the Vikings have historically had issues closing out games, this Vikings team doesn't, uh, it seems like. So, um, yeah, I, it, it's obviously like every game is important. This one is less important than any of the other games that the Vikings uh, have in this final stretch. But, you know, winning it is enough to keep them in the race with the Packers. Hopefully the Packers stumble somewhere else. The Vikings will be able to win the division, get a home game, because they clearly play a lot better at home than on the road. Mm-hmm. But honestly, this Chargers game is is just it's almost as difficult to think about as this Lions game. <laughs> it, oh, boy, that's not exactly uh, inspiring as we head into the week of storylines for that Chargers game. And I'm sure... <laughs> The locker room will... No, and please read all of our yes, exciting yes, stories. Correct, correct. That, that's what you meant to say. You yes. meant to say there are tons of uh, really interesting stories that will come this week. Uh, I am working on an Anthony Barr feature that you know goes back to his LA roots a little bit and essentially how he always wanted to grow up being a running back and how you know it's still even a little bit he weird to... was a running back. <laughs> running back. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> was a running back, went to college to be a running back, told Notre Dame was recruiting him and he always wanted to go to Notre Dame, but Notre Dame you know, wasn't cemented in letting him play running back. So it's like, no, I'm going to go to UCLA. Where they did let him play running back until uh, <laughs> he got buried on the depth chart and said, coach, how can I play? And now the rest is history and he's got a massive contract. Um, he was also going to play another position this year with the Jets. He's going to be a 3-4 yeah. outside linebacker. Yeah, going back to what he did. <laughs> That's amazing. Very athletic there. Uh, so... Uh, the team will discuss not looking past the Chargers and that road game and not looking ahead to the Packers. Doesn't mean we have to. The Packers, you know, somehow, perhaps, I don't know how to look at the Packers. On the one hand, they're 10 and 3, and that's not to be slighted or discounted. If you can win 10 out of 13 games in the NFL, good for you. On the other hand, there have been a lot of close games. The offense has not looked that good. The defense has fallen back to earth a bit since a you know, impressive first few weeks of the season. Aaron Rodgers has had his struggles, including Sunday against Washington, which you struggle against them, you know, good luck. They they barely beat Washington, came down to, you know, one of the last couple of drives, only beat them by five points. Where are you at with how, you know, the top of the NFC North is shaping up? And of course, the Packers are coming here in two weeks for the biggest game of the season. And you know, they, what are your thoughts they barely on beat a Washington team that lost its starting running back and their quarterback threw a passer rating under 75. That's <laughs> the team they barely beat. Yep. Uh, no, I mean, the, the Packers are a 7-8 win team masquerading as a 10-win team. They're obviously not a bad team, but uh, I think the 10 wins are, you know, kind of, you know, they're more important in terms of how it impacts the playoff race than it is an indicator of their actual quality. Like you said, that offense is struggling. Aaron Rodgers is not the player that he once was. Um, big week for Aaron Rodgers truthers, I think. Um, <laughs> there's a there's a great story by Ben Baldwin at The Athletic about why, you know, despite all of the impressive plays that he's been able to string together this season, his balance of play has been, you know, pretty unremarkable. Uh, obviously against the Vikings, you know, they did pretty well, but actually for most of the game, the offense struggled three straight drives at the beginning of the ha- uh, beginning of the game, 21-0, and then they couldn't close out the game. Uh, obviously the Vikings couldn't close out the game either, but, right. uh, you know, that game, I think if it happens at home is a Vikings win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, I don't want to look past the Packers. I don't want to look past literally all four games on, uh, <laughs> at the end of the schedule, but I, I do think that this Packers team is good, not great. 
they they look a lot better than they are just by you know kind of a quick glance. But I think that the Vikings have a lot of opportunities here. The problem, of course, is that I don't think the Vikings can catch up on divisional record. I think that that's kind of just locked in, and that's the first tiebreaker. And so the Packers have to lose another game outside of this matchup that they have for the Vikings to be able to pull ahead. So um, obviously that's the biggest game left on the schedule. Uh, obviously the Vikings uh, <laughs> want to win against the Packers kind of regardless whether or not they're like 0-14 or whether or not they're you know 10-2 and or whatever. Um, but uh, it's going to mean a lot in terms of seeding. Uh, it's it, because it's a conference game, obviously, because it's a divisional game. It'll change things with seeding. Um, the issue is that I think everybody that they could tie with in terms of record will regardless hold a tiebreaker against them because like the Rams have a conference tiebreaker. Um, the Seahawks have the head to head tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing. They could be a yeah. 12 win team as the six seed in the <laughs> conference. Yeah, I think I think no matter what team they end up tying with for you know, wild card round or whatever uh, to try and determine who gets the home game. I think they've lost all the tiebreakers. And so the only tiebreaker they can catch up with is the Packers. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, as you mentioned, it would be very helpful for the Vikings if uh, the Packers lost one additional game, including the one in Minneapolis. They play, uh, they have the Bears at home next week, and then they finish up by going to Detroit, and I can't imagine. Of course. The Lions don't have anything to play for right now, which we saw today. I cannot <laughs> imagine what they will be like week 17 with trips to the Bahamas on the horizon. Uh, so something to look out for there. Trubisky on a tear, maybe that'll help. I don't know. <laughs> uh, one interesting stat from today before we wrap up that you know probably encapsulates just the way this game went more than anything else, but Kirk Cousins hit 11 different I wouldn't even call them receivers, threw passes, completed passes to 11 different players, one of which, of course, was Garrett Bradbury. Perhaps the craziest part of that, 11 different receivers, and only three of them were wide receivers. (laughs) Because the fourth receiver playing Hollins was targeted, but didn't Didn't have a catch catch today. Uh, yeah, uh, this is almost an instance where you want to take the target away from Bradbury and let him right, take the reception. Right. Minus um, four yards. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, distributed the ball uh, both well and not well when it comes to the, the Bradbury reception. Uh, Cousins mentioned that he didn't even know Bradbury had a reception, and so he asked him about it. <laughs> when did you catch the ball? And it was, you know, on the on the play where Cousins almost threw uh, just an awful-looking pick. Um, which was worse than any of the picks he's thrown since like week two, actually. Yeah. <laughs> this is the worst decision that he's made that just hasn't resulted in a turnover. So, um, and, and he said he got, you know, hit while he was throwing, so it's hard to hold too much against him on that. But yeah, distributed the ball well. Laquan Treadwell kind of showed out, had some yards after the catch, kind of like CJ Ham. Um, <laughs> always great to see. The two you expected to be big yards after the catch players. Yeah, right. Try yeah. And, him. and then Irv Smith got tackled at the point of catch every single time. You know, it's exactly <laughs> just, how you yeah. expect it to go. Um, but yeah, uh, I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that they played with a lot of running backs on the field, right? Because they had every running back play uh, snaps from scrimmage. They had Mike Boone, Amir Abdullah, Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, CJ Ham. All five running backs uh, took snaps from scrimmage. And I believe every single one of them has a touch because Abdullah has a carry, Boone has five carries, uh, and then the three others have receptions. Uh, and so I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that the defense was giving them the checkdowns. And so because of that and because of the different running backs that are in the game, that kind of helps increase the distribution. Uh, plus, obviously, Kyle Rudolph's always kind of a target that they that they like to go to. They planned for a bunch of Irv Smith touches. Those is clearly in the game script. Uh, I think it was the first throw of the game was a, was a screen to Irv Smith. Um, so 
the the nature of the game, just kind of putting more running backs on the field because the Vikings wanted to hold on to the lead. Plus, uh, the way the game script at the beginning of the game worked out made it very easy for the uh, the Vikings to distribute the the ball a lot, and they did do that. The, what's interesting is that um, twelve different targets, eleven different players for the catch, and Stephon Dix still ends up with ninety two yards, right, <laughs> <laughs> and nine targets. <laughs> you know, that's that's life without Adam Thielen. So uh, it wasn't always entertaining. It was far from the best game of the season. But Vikings improved to 9-4, 20-7 victory over the Detroit Lions. We'll have plenty more at The Athletic this upcoming week. Stay tuned to this podcast, the Straight Cash podcast, uh, as well as our work at TheAthletic.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show.